If I could ask you this question, you have one word, and one word only, particularly think of somebody who, like, doesn't know anything about the Bible, never heard of Jesus Christ, and you're trying to think of a word, one word to describe Jesus. It's hard. There's so many things you could think of. What would that word possibly be? Now, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you can cheat a little bit, and you can think, I know what he's going to say, because we've been studying 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the greatest of these is love. And probably be fairly quick on our mouths to say, God is love, Jesus is love. That would be a great answer to that question. But there's other words that come to mind very, very quickly. You could easily say, actually, what I was just praying two seconds ago, like, He is Lord. He is elevated. There's nobody to touch Him. There's no one who even compares. But He knows everything. But then He's also very, very powerful. And He's also a healer and a deliverer. And he loves babies. <laughs> How do you pick? Well, I've been reading one particular Christian author for many years, a fellow by the name of Dallas Willard. Uh, he's one of those silent mentors in my own life and has probably in many ways um, influenced a lot of my preaching. And uh, if you ever find a book by him, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's not a light read. The guy is ridiculously intelligent, ridiculously smart fella, uh, loves God. He passed away a few years ago. And uh, he was asked this question, and he came up with an answer that I just never, ever would have come up with. Uh, smart, got to be one of the smartest guys I've ever read, loves God, deep, deep man of the Word, and this was his word, one word to describe Jesus, relaxed. Now, I never would have come up with that word. I don't even think that word would have made it into my top ten. I can't think of a single song or hymn that describes Jesus as relaxed. I can't think of a single statement of faith or creed that has in it, and Jesus is relaxed. It's just not there. Let's take it out for a spin, if you don't mind, and give it a chance. Jesus arrived on earth, the Christmas story, under very, very special circumstances. We find a little glimpse at the age of 12 where he makes a statement, I have to be about my father's business. His career, for many years, it's likely that he actually did two things. He was probably a stonemason and a carpenter. And so he turns 18, 20, 24, 28, 29, and he's still just hammering nails. Hey, Jesus, clock's ticking. You know, you, you want to get going on some of this stuff? No, that's not my time yet. He finally starts. John the Baptist gives him a very dramatic, big, public launch. The Holy Spirit it comes as a dove, descends upon Jesus, baptized. Everyone sees this. It's incredible. It's go time. Huge crowds, big following. Everybody wants to hear what he has to say. Everyone wants to touch him. He's doing incredible things. What's the first thing that Jesus does? He leaves. He goes off by himself to a delightful place, a desert. And he stays there for 40 days and for 40 nights. And he fasts. He wanted to be with his father in unhurried prayer. When he finally gets around to really getting going on this ministry thing, he preaches his very first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. And these people 
are so blown away by His absolute radical inclusivity of people towards the love of God, they actually don't like it. In fact, they hate it. They hate it. They're like, we don't want you including those outsiders. Stop doing that. It's just about us, right? It's our people. It's this chosen people. And he's like, no, I'm including outsiders. They hate it so much on his first sermon, they actually try to kill him. They bring him to a cliff edge to push him off the edge. Now, very rarely have I come home to Kelly. How did the sermon go? Well, you know, they wanted to kill me, but I gave them the slip, so that's a win. It literally says, look at these words. I, I don't even know what this looked like. It's very hard to interpret this. It says, Jesus passed through the midst of the crowd. I don't know what that looked like. It's for me, my, it's like some guy, they're all there. We're going to kill Jesus. There he is. We're all going to grab him. We're going to bring this cliff edge. And he's walking down, sauntering down the street like a guy whistling on his way without a care in the world. I don't know, what, I don't know how he does that. He could only be in one place at one time. He traveled at the speed of foot. He and his disciples one day, they were taking a walk. They were going through a place called Samaria. You guys go on ahead, he says. Go get some food ready. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to rest. I want to get a drink of water. So they come back and they find him talking to this Samaritan woman, a Gentile. He shouldn't be talking to her. And actually, she's been married five times, and now she's shacking up with some guy, and there he is having a conversation where they're like, she's his buddy. Why is he doing that? There's this one time he's in a boat, and a storm is so bad that his disciples are totally freaking out. Some of these guys are professional fishermen, and they are afraid that they're going to die. They're used to boats. They're used to storms, and Jesus is taking a nap. Who's ever heard of a napping Messiah? The next time your spouse gives you any kind of flack about taking a nap, you just tell your spouse, I'm becoming more like Jesus. <laughs> At one point, Jesus' teaching becomes so radical. Jesus' teachings become so high challenge that the crowds, they begin to thin out a little bit. That's a bit much, Jesus. I mean, it's really interesting what you have to say. It's incredible what you're doing, but that's a bit much. You cross the line, and all of a sudden, these numbers are dropping out, and people are no longer following Jesus like they used to, and the disciples are like, hey, you know, we got to do something about this. The crowds aren't quite as big as they were. You know, let's go back to Jerusalem, into the big city where there'll be tons of people. Let's get a bit of momentum going back here. No, it's not my time yet. My time will come. One time he's making this whip. <laughs> Many times you said that in life. One time I was making a whip. He's going to get these money changers out of his father's house. He said he was consumed with passion for his father's house, the church. I think he still is today. Consumed with passion over this, you. And they're doing something wrong in the body of Christ. So he's sitting there and he's making a whip. Hey, Jesus. What you doing there? I'm making a whip. <laughs> uh, wouldn't you rather just kind of, I don't know, magic one up? Couldn't you just do a little? 
Couldn't you get a pre-braided one? No. I think I'm going to make it myself. They're not going anywhere. We see this the most, I think, in the relationship that he had with his disciples. They are a slow group. You and I would have fit in there perfectly. They are slow to understand what they're taught. They're slow to understand who he is. They're slow to obey him. They're slow to trust him. They're slow to serve. They misunderstand him. They doubt him. They leave him. They deny him. They abandon him. And at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, after spending all of this time with them, he says, I'm going to give you a diagnosis of where you guys are at. Are you ready? Here's a summary. After all of this investment and time poured in to care and teach you guys, here it is. How foolish you are and how slow to believe. This is not an A-plus report card. Now, I'll guarantee you this. If it were me, if I were in his shoes, you think about, you think about the mission of Jesus Christ. This is unprecedented in human history, what he was going to do. If it were me, and I was trying to carry that salvation to planet Earth, and I was like, we got to get this thing done. I would have a sense of urgency around me. I would not want people around me who are slow. And yet we don't see this picture of Jesus like, all right, you three are out. We're getting some subs in. We're going to get someone else. This is not working out very well. we got to get some higher quality caliber people in here. That's not what it is. Why? Because Jesus is teaching them about the greatest of these. He was demanding, but he was never demeaning. He never said, I'm going to swap you out because he was teaching them about love. And now we catch up to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he simply states this, love is patient. I like my buddy, Dallas Willard. Maybe there's something to this word relaxed. Maybe it's a great word to describe Jesus. I think it gets us out of the religious category. Sometimes I think when we think of the word patience or the idea of being patient, we think, oh, that's just this thing where I have to like grit my teeth. I have to just endure. Oh God, give me patience to be around these idiots in my life. Oh, I'm sick of this and I'm ready to implode. God, help me not to implode. That's our working definition of patience. I need to suppress my rage because I'm ready to throttle somebody because they're being an idiot. I don't think that's what Jesus was. And he's the most patient person that ever existed. We don't see this picture of Jesus sort of gritting his teeth, stressed out, uptight, at the end of his rope every day in ministry. And this was well known amongst the disciples. There's no chapter and verse where we ever see the disciples saying, hey, by the way, you know, you might want to give Jesus a little bit of space today. I think he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's the most relaxed person they'd ever seen. And was it because he lived in such utter bliss and comfortable situation and circumstances? Quite the contrary. It was because love is patient and we are not. Patience is our Achilles heel. As we look to the many qualities of love that 1 Corinthians lays out, and it does very powerfully, there's another list in the New Testament called the fruit of the Spirit. And it's this list of qualities that God is committed to creating in your life. And I'm going to show it to you right now. And you're going to go, yep, I need that, I need that, I need that, I want that, I definitely need more of that. 
Incredible stuff, just describing. In fact, the very first thing is, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that He wants to transform in you, the first thing is love. And then it says, and joy, and peace, and there it is, patience. I want to create patience in you, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. My bet is that the majority of us would say, I need that in my life. I want that in my life. But I think patience gets up to the top of that list. I know that's where I need to change. I know, I know that's where I need to grow. And yet at the same time, I think there's a temptation to look down our noses at patience. Particularly if you are a person who's in charge of anything. If you have a little company. If you run a team or a department. Or you have staff. Or you have responsibilities. It's so easy to look down your nose at patience. If you're a CEO or a CFO or some, any of those kinds of things, and it's this temptation to say, well, if people see patience in me, they're going to think that I'm actually not being a good leader. And that part of being a good leader is that I'm just sort of the take charge, get it done, push down on the accelerator type of thing. Therefore, patience is a weakness. But patience in the Bible is never, ever a passive, wimpy type of things. It's not a lack of drive. It's not an unwillingness to hold people accountable or to get things done. No. It's actually, quite simply, an expression of the greatest of these things, which is love. That's what it is. Preparing this message, I was horribly, utterly convicted by the Holy Spirit. Complete lack of patience. I didn't enjoy that very much at all. I can preach it. I feel like it's unreasonable that I have to listen to my own words. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit showed me. Mostly because the temptation is perhaps to look at me and say, oh, he's a fellow who might have it together. He's a fellow who might be patient. That's because I'm very skillful at hiding that. My intolerance sometimes towards people who are slow or who interrupt me or inactivity or a lack of progress. Almost every day, I come in here to this building. This is where I work. I have an office on the other side of this building. And in my head... Every day, I know what I want to do. I know exactly what I want to get done. Did you hear that? I know what I want to get done. And what I do pretty much every day is I write a list on a piece of paper, old-fashioned style, and I write it down, and then I prioritize it. And that's what I want to get done. And that's not wrong. It's, in fact, that's a good practice it's to help you to be efficient and effective. But you know what happens? Church would be way better if it wasn't for all the people in it. knocking on the door. Hey, got a quick question for you. Hey, can I just ask you about this thing? Oh, we got a problem here. I totally looked at the staff member when I did that, and she's totally laughing right now. <laughs> and what happens is my day doesn't go exactly as I did. And when I get to the end of the day, and I'm driving home, and in my head, I'm like, did I get done the stuff that I put on my list that I wanted to get done? And if I didn't get it done, I feel like I didn't succeed in that day. That's just some messed up thinking there. Because God oftentimes wants to interrupt my day just to make me more patient because it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and it is an expression of incredible, incredible love. I felt utterly convicted doing this. I can be short with people, but on the outside I can smile and look at you. Meanwhile, there's little guys doing cartwheels in my head. I have to work very hard not to finish people's sentences. By the way, men, that is a great strategy for your marriage. I really do not recommend that. 
But I do it all the time. I finish, like, I know what you're going to say. Can you spit it out faster? In fact, I can probably read your mind, and I can say it faster than you, so I'm going to fill in the blank, and I'll finish your sentence for you. And it's not a good thing to do. People don't enjoy that. There's one gentleman on staff here, and I don't like to mention names uh, or point out who he is, but his name is Jeff Heishen, and he's the director of youth. <laughs> and he's right over there. He's just the slowest walker I've ever seen in all my life. If anyone here has ever had a chance to get to know Jeff, the best to look. And here's the problem for me. So I'm the guy who gets in the car, and I'm halfway down the driveway, and I'm still doing a seatbelt, and I've changed the radio three times, and I, I just have always been that way. I talk fast. I walk fast. I've always been that way. And sometimes I can be on the other side of the building, and I've got a meeting over here, and then I'll see Jeff. Now, I love Jeff. I love Jeff. He's my brother. I love him. But I see him, and I'm like, oh, no. Because <laughs> then I've caught up with him in a second and a half, and then I'm like, hey, and it's just this slow motion thing. And I've just said it to him, like, Jeff, I can't cope. I'm leaving you behind. Good. I'll see you at the meeting. And he doesn't have any other gear. He just moves at that pace. Listen to these words. Patience is the ability to dwell gladly in the present moment when we'd prefer not to. Patience is the ability to dwell gladly in the present moment when we would prefer not to. And we've all experienced that definition right there. Don't you know what I'm talking about when it's, I don't want to go. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be in that conversation. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to talk to her. Patience is the ability to do those things when you don't want to do those things and to dwell there and to actually be present. I think it embraces both that sense of urgency and mission, right? Because there's stuff we've got to get done. There's life that's happening. And the reality that there's limitations to you and I, that we have physical bodies, that there's only so many hours in a day that we get to a point where we have to shut down and stop and rest, and I think it's understood in this definition. The word that it's often in, uh, translated in is, is long-suffering. The capacity inside of you, it means that love has the ability to love over this long period of time, even when there is challenge and problems and difficulty and strife. It keeps on loving. There is long-suffering in patience. Impatience will wreck your relationship with your children. Again, and I do not like this moment, and I'm embarrassed by it, but I'm going to be honest with you. While preparing this message, I was thinking through all this stuff, and it came to that moment in the evening. I know a ton of you will be, I'll give you my excuses, and you'll be like, ah, oh, I get your excuses. It was the end of the day, I was tired, it was bedtime, it was clean up, and it was, the dinner was done, and was packing the bags, and get the lunches, and school, and get the jammies, and brush the teeth, and then it was bedtime, and then it was 45 minutes after bedtime, and they were still up and down the stairs, and all that was going on. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's where it was at, and it's like, I'm done, and what's happening to patience? I'm out of patience, and then this child of mine that I love has this story that they wanted to tell me. It was like the Holy Spirit went just like, there you go. There you go, Pastor Alan, watch this. And they're telling me this story filled with wonder and joy about something that had happened, and it was funny, and it was hilarious, and here's the sad moment. I saw the look in their face when they finally caught the look in my eye that simply said this, speed it up, buddy. I'm done. I'm done. And I watched them talk faster, 
and skip the details and pass by the funny moment. And I missed it. I missed the story. I missed the laughter. I missed the moment. And they turned around and they went to bed. And I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that dad. And I know this about you. You don't want to be that person either. That's what impatience will do to you. Impatience is such an absurdly little thing, and yet it will kill your prayer life. You literally go to pray. Give me a hands up on this. You literally go to pray, and within 30 seconds, your mind is somewhere else. Give me a hands up on that. I see someone with two hands up. Impatience will make you live a shallow life. I don't want to finish that assignment. I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. I don't want to stick with eating these kinds of foods. I'm done with that. I don't want to stay in this marriage. I've become impatient. There's a lack of an express, there's a deficit of love. I'm not staying in this marriage. I don't want to honor my commitment. I don't want to stay on this budget. I don't want to obey God in my sexual behavior. Why? Because I want what I want, and I want it now. But love is patient. It is long-suffering. One author, I found this so good. It's a perfect parable. To make a pearl, an oyster only needs two things. You're going to love this. An irritant and time. That's how an oyster makes a pearl. An oyster has to find a way to cope with the fact that this irritant has come into its life. And then it needs time. And what will happen is the oyster will do this. It will give away a tiny bit of itself to the irritant. It secretes a substance, and pardon my pronouncement if it's incorrect, called nacre. I think that's how it's stated. It is literally what is made of the shell of the oyster. It makes one layer around the irritant, and then another layer, and then scores of layers, and then hundreds, eventually thousands of incredibly thin layers of this nacre, this lustrous and iridescent part of itself. To produce a single pearl can take about 20 years. An oyster can live maybe 40 years. It's possible for an oyster to produce maybe two pearls in its entire life. To produce patience, you need two things. An irritant and time. And God will give you time, and God will give you an irritant. You may be sitting next to your irritant right now. In fact, if you don't have an irritant, call the church. We keep a list, and we will assign one to you, and you can grow in patience. Paul goes on a little bit further. He says, love is patient, but there's something else. Love is also so kind. And if I could say this, I think love is maybe, uh, patience is the passive side of love, and I think I mean that in a good way. But love is also kind. I think that is the active side of love. One of my favorite examples in the Bible is King David. He had to be so patient for so many years. A prophet by the name of Samuel comes up to him. He was just a child. He says, that's the king. And he anoints him king. He's a child. But he's not the king. There's another guy sitting on the throne who probably never should have been there at all. And his name is Saul. He is the king. So David didn't formally become the king until many, many, many years after that. 
And Saul meets David, and they, they get to meet each other. Saul, the king, has a son called Jonathan. David meets Jonathan. In fact, David and Jonathan become like the best of closest friends. But after a while, King Saul, he goes mad with envy, the exact thing that we talked about last week. He goes mad with envy, crazed with demonic envy in his life, so much so that he tries to kill David, not just once, but he literally chases him for years, and David is a man on the run. He's the king, but he's not the king, and for years he is suffering long over this irritant Saul. And eventually, over the course of time, Saul passes away, and his son Jonathan, his good friend, he also dies. And finally, David is made king of Israel. And he does this very peculiar thing. He asks this question, is there anyone else in the house of Saul, particularly somebody who perhaps might say that they have a right to the throne? Look at what it says. It says, is there anyone else in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? That's what he says. To whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was. There was a young man with a very hard to pronounce name. He was young, he was lame, and he was extremely frightened of David. His name was Mephibosheth. David befriended him and protected him and honored him and fed him. And even though Mephibosheth would have been recognized as a rival to David's throne. It was his life in the kingdom of God now. He was shown kindness constantly because love is long-suffering and love is kind. The question loving people ask is, is there anyone I can show kindness to? Is there anyone? I want you to ask that question today. Is there anyone I can show kindness to? That's your homework for the week. Who can I show kindness to? You can do that. It doesn't take an education or a resume. It doesn't take money. Who can I show kindness to? In the moments that are left, I want to give you today three simple practices so that you can show that love is patient and love is kind. Three simple patience exercises for this week. Number one, slow your roll. Today, when you leave this room, I want you to walk like Jeff Heishen. Don't plan your escape route already. <laughs> I was thinking about this. What if when somebody visited our church, anytime, any week, and we're about to have tons of guests here this afternoon, and we're going to have tons of guests in two days' time on Christmas Eve. The place is going to be packed. What if anytime anyone ever asks us, they visited here, and then someone were to ask them, oh, you went to community church. What was that place like? What if they were to answer, the first thing that they noticed was simply this, the people there are just so relaxed that there was this peaceful feeling about coming here to this church family, that they weren't rushed, that people would actually look you in the eye and talk to you and have a conversation, that it felt human. What if any time somebody came to our services, we never let them out of this building without showing them a sense of kindness towards them in their life? Why? Because love is patient and love is kind. What if that just overflowed everywhere, not just even here, but just everywhere in our lives, everywhere that we went. There's a couple that started going to this church, I'm going to guess maybe six or nine months ago, and I met them, and I said hello to them, and I said, How, how's it going? Are, are you finding yourself welcomed here and at home here? And this is what they said to me. They said, no one has talked to us. And I was like, no, not in the, not in the family of God. 
No, that can't take place. I said, yeah, we've really tried, but no one's really spoken to us. And I said, I'm so sorry about that. And so I saw them a week or two later. It was after a service, and I was over in the info. You know where the info is over there? And I was behind the glass, and I was chatting to somebody. And I looked through the glass, and everyone was milling around getting coffee and all that stuff. And I saw the two of them, and I knew exactly what they were doing. They deliberately parked themselves right in the middle of everybody. And they stood there with a cup of coffee, and they were kind of chatting to each other. You know what they were doing? They wanted somebody to approach them. They wanted somebody to come up and say, Hi, what's your name? How are you? Tell me about yourself. That's what they were looking for. And I watched everybody just walk past them, and the two of them stood there. And I was like, no. I wanted to run around the corner, come up to them and hug them and say, hey, it's great to see you. Praise God. Tell me what's going on in your life. But I was talking to someone else. And I'm like, no, I need to talk to the person who's in front of me. And so I did. I looked them in the eye, and I finished this conversation. And then I looked up, and they were gone. No. Not in this family. I want you, before you walk out of this place, to find somebody that you do not know, to walk up to them at Jeff Heishen pace, look them in the eye, and just love them. and Show them kindness. Number one, slow your roll. Number two, notice people. Notice people. Another practice is simply noticing people. This is pretty obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can't, know, you can't love a person that you haven't even noticed. You can't really love somebody unless you really notice them. Check this out. Hurry is a very close relative of ego. Did you catch that? I'm so busy. I have so much to do. I have so many responsibilities. Do you hear it? Do you hear the pride in that? Hurry is a close relative of arrogance and ego and self-importance. It is the elevation of stuff and tasks over people. And I'm guilty of it, and so many of us are. Hurry will not allow you to notice people. Jesus notices a tax collector up a tree. Jesus notices a blind man that nobody would notice. Jesus notices in a massive crowd of people where everyone's touching him and talking to him and everyone wants a piece of him, that somebody touched the edge of his garment. He notices this. And those disciples who obviously knew better, who finished people's sentences, get these children away. He doesn't need to be near these children. Jesus says, no, not at all. I notice these children. Bring them to me. Jesus was the great noticer of humanity. Why? Well, relaxed people look. Hurried people overlook. Make it a kind of a game. Jesus, help me to look at people in my life today. Not to look past them, to look into their eyes. Let me read what's going on in a person's life. Ever done that? Ever looked at someone and just read their body language? Read how they are, what they're saying, how they're composing and conducting themselves? Are they sad? Are they scared? Are they upset? Are their shoulders slumped? Is their head down? Are they happy? Are they celebrating? Is there any way I can show kindness to you? Number three, forgive. Slow your roll. Notice people. Forgive. Because love is long-suffering. Love is forgiving. And you can practice forgiving this week. The next few days, I, don't think, I think it's fair to say this, they may be the most crazy, frantic, absolute nutter few days of the year. What would it be like for you to go into a shop to buy Christmas presents at this late hour? I'm probably just talking to the men. 
What would it be like for you to go into the shop to buy Christmas presents and you are the only person in the room who's thinking, slow your roll, forgive. You're the only person who's think, thinking, notice people. An expression of love. How refreshing would that be? Patience and kindness. And then that being expressed through forgiveness. And you will have lots of chances to do relational repairs, forgiving. Look at what Paul wrote. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why would I do that? Because just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. I think about how self-consumed I was having that conversation at the end of a long day talking to my child who simply wanted to tell me a funny story. And I wish you could tell you that I was better than that, that I was holier than that, that I was a finer parent than that. But these are the moments of our lives. We only get one life. That's all you get. And it can be filled with nobility and goodness and wonder. Or it can be thrown away quite stupidly and darkly. And nobody knows how long they will get in life. And so you must look at every moment as if it is a gift. Why do we rush past them? Why is it that we allow them to be thrown away the way we often do? There is this pearl of great price. And it is us in the kingdom of God together with our Father. This life of love and joy and gratitude and also pain and hope and difficulty all mixed and mingled together. And I charge you today, don't miss this life. Don't miss these moments. Slow your roll. Notice people. Forgive. Because love is patient. Because love is kind. So we're going to take a moment right now forced patience. We're going to simply be, I'm telling you right now, there is no better place than the presence of your Father. There is no better place that you have to be in this next moment. And so we're going to hush like the children that we are, and we're simply going to be with our Father in His presence. Would you maybe bow your head and close your eyes sing that together very gently. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, 
Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Father, we have no better thing to do than to be with you right now. Our life is about love and nothing else. And so this week, we commit to slowing down, to slowing our roll. This week, we commit to noticing people. This week, we commit to forgiving people. Thank you for not leaving us the way we are, but making us more like you, Jesus Christ. Full of patience, full of kindness, full of love. Amen.